Hey girl, what do you want to do for the 4th of July? I don't know. I don't care as long as it's Savage approved. Want to get Savage but want to stay sober? The Sober Savage Squad made sure to get all of the tea on fun places and events that offer recovery-friendly options. Look for the Savage approved stamp when you're making your plans or go to our website. Just pick your city and we'll give you options. SoberSavageSquad.org And remember, stay Stay savage. savage. is up squad we are back um it's been it's been a hot minute for sure so happy to be back and it's finally time for another sober savage uh i'm your host cat and today we have a very very special guest who is actually really fitting for this episode because we you know took a little vacay there um so i'm really really excited i hope she's as excited as me thanks so much for having me i'm so excited to be here oh i'm so pumped (laughs) so the reason why this guest is so special for this first episode coming back is because we did take about like a seven or eight month hiatus there um So I wanted to have somebody qualified to, you know, kind of reintroduce us into the world here. Um, And she is a doctor. So for anonymity's sake, I am actually, I'm going to call you Hot Doc. We won't say your name. I hope that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I won't ever stop anyone from calling me hot. Yeah, I mean, why not? (laughs) Um, So I'm at the Hot Doc almost a year ago, and... I know you because you are my therapist. <laughs> yeah, I started working with you almost a year ago when you were coping with some health issues. Yeah, I initially came in trying to learn how to cope about something specific. Yes. And in doing that, I then learned that you specialize in addiction disorders and mental disorders and that you are actually sober yourself. Yes. And yeah, it just turned into the perfect storm because I was able to relate to you so much because you are sober. Um, And I mean, I ended up growing so much because of it. And I also started to talk to you about this little project. (laughs) Yeah, and I had to do some convincing for you to start this up again. Yeah, I mean, I was, not even was, I still am absolutely terrified. And I know you know this and the depth behind it being this hard, but I don't think I'll ever really be able to articulate why this is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Why do you think it was so hard for you to pick this back up after pressing pause on it for so long? Why don't you explain why you stopped a little and what got you here? Ugh, oh my god, okay. <laughs> so without really getting into it too much and making this like a big confessional episode, which is absolutely coming by the way, right? Um, the me a year ago was almost unrecognizable. Not physically, but that me, that little girl was so deep down the rabbit hole of feeling and genuinely believing that I was worthless. You know, the first year or so in recovery is the hardest back and forth. And I didn't, I didn't never, I never saw that coming. And the desperate and I'll admit morally questionable places my early recovery took me left me with so much guilt and shame that I was only living and breathing to make up for that to people and I ended up measuring my worth only by what somebody else thought I was worth you know I was working to prove to certain people that I was already the healed version of myself right instead of working on becoming that healed version of myself 
And the person I did that with the most was me. Yeah, and I think this is a big step into being your honest self. And instead of working hard to prove you're a better version of yourself, working hard to actually get honest and be better. Yeah, and it was pre my actual bipolar diagnosis, which you only get from leaving a wake of destruction so bad that even a doctor's like, "Mm, there's something wrong with you. (laughs) So I didn't know the way I was acting was actually out of my control. So I was still apologizing for taking up the space that I did not believe I deserved to take up. And I felt so alone And I started this because I didn't want anyone else to feel as alone as I did. Mm -hmm. But in doing that, I was still in that mindset. So I ended up only really presenting the the good parts of myself because I wanted to, quote unquote, qualify how much, quote unquote, better I was. That everything I did to get myself some good, solid, sober time went out the window so fast. And I was so embarrassed. And I didn't think that I deserved to do this anymore anymore. Um, God, I was so damn embarrassed and ashamed, like thinking of starting this up again and how people would react and the worry that I would come across like a hypocrite, just that heavy imposter syndrome. Right. That's what people would think about me, about coming back. And that was a question that I was not ready to hear the answer to. But for anyone to feel less alone through this, means not sharing only the good you know so I I knew coming back to this I was gonna have to be completely and unapologetically honest and my real self and that's something I haven't even been able to do with the closest people in my life and it absolutely terrifies me but here I am and here we go I guess yes recovery is in my opinion one of the hardest things a person will ever do in a lifetime yeah and I couldn't not have you on especially for Pride Month and knowing how much and more intensely other people feel that fear of being themselves. Um, I wanted to be real while I was healing and not just when other people thought I was healed enough. Right. Um, Because healing doesn't mean becoming the best version of yourself. It means realizing that the worst version of yourself deserves to be loved too and letting go of the environment and the people that make you even for a second doubt that yes being the real you is hard enough for people who are not going through trauma and sobriety and who are healing from emotional abuse and I think with everything you've been through it's going to help a lot of people who are going through the same and are scared to be or embarrassed or ashamed of where their mental health and addiction took them I'm really proud of you thank you yeah I mean that's the goal (laughs) um so let's get to it. I'm so excited to hear your story because you always get to ask me questions. <laughs> um, so ladies and gentlemen, the hot doc. Yes, this will be fun. Let's do it. I grew up in a very small town in upstate New York. And when I say small, I mean very small. I'm pretty sure a lot of people from Buffalo haven't even heard of it. It's <laughs> okay. a very tight knit small town feel. I have three brothers and I'm the youngest. Oh, wow. It was a joy. I make jokes now to them that if I thought it was safe to bring boys home, that I wouldn't have been a lesbian. (laughs) My parents were extremely religious, extremely conservative, and very old world traditional. We were all always volunteering and going to community events with our church and never missed a Sunday, sometimes even going to the Friday night mass. Oh, wow. So needless to say, these are not the people who are ever going to support someone coming out of the closet. 
let alone someone in their family. Yeah. Whenever gay marriage came up, it was an extremely passionate discussion of total disgust. I wasn't even allowed to watch Will and Grace on TV. That is the level of conservative we're talking about here. Right. Mm -hmm. When I was in about middle school, I started to realize that I was gay. I couldn't have gone through the denial phase for more than about a month. It was pretty clear to me who I was attracted to. (laughs) I was way too girl crazy. There wasn't much my brain could do to even try and deny it or shove it down. (laughs) A lot of my patients have very long denial phases, and it's very much built on shame. When you are raised to believe something is absolutely terrible, your mind very much does not want to cope with those feelings about themselves. Yeah. I experienced that feeling of shame very deeply. Mm -hmm. I knew this horrible thing about myself and was going to have to do everything in my power to hide it. Oh, wow. So off the bat, I developed this constant worry about what others think of me, specifically Mm -hmm. my family. We were so close, and if they ever found this out about me, I was going to lose them. That much was clear. Wow, okay. So to somewhat combat the stereotypes that may cause anyone to question my sexuality, in high school I morphed into this extremely girly girl persona. All my effort and energy was spent on doing the hair, wearing the makeup, wearing skirts and dresses, Mm -hmm. and dressing up just to literally go to school. Yeah, I can relate. I'm talking all things pink and glittery. (laughs) I was just obsessed with convincing everyone that there was no possible way I could be gay. Right. So in order to do that, I became the most feminine version of myself I could possibly could. Makes sense. I took my first sip of alcohol when I was 15 at a house party, Mm -hmm. one of the popular people were having. And I remember thinking that it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I had Mm -hmm. absolutely arrived. Not because (laughs) it made me more outgoing or brave or one of the typical reasons one would find themselves enjoying Mm -hmm. alcohol. I thought I had found my secret weapon that I would use to care less about having to force myself to date boys. Yeah. The girly persona really only works if you include the boy crazy component. Yeah. (laughs) And I was not attracted to them. And when I was drunk, I could just be numb and either hate it less or worse, just not remember the sexual experiences mm-hmm. one has with high school boys. Yeah. And I always say, let's just call a spade a spade. So I basically just preemptively planning for when I needed to put on my beer goggles <laughs> whenever I couldn't put off sex with boys any longer. Oh my God. <laughs> Very fitting to this girly girl persona. Yeah. I became a cosmetologist right out of high school. Oh, okay. Now think about the efforts I went into I went to in school to keep us this very super female persona. Mm -hmm. Hair and makeup was no longer a show. It was straight up who I was. Right. So this feeling of shoving everything I knew about myself very deep down was no longer an act. Right. Having this deep, shameful turmoil and trying to fit into this ultimate shallow end of the emotional fulfilling pool, (laughs) I became so lost and lonely and had this, how do I get here and is this really my life? Depression. Yeah. I'm not at all saying that it was a poor career choice, of course. Right. It can be hard work at times. I'm only speaking about myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. But when my day-to-day life was hair and makeup, there was only so much intellectual depth I could possibly have. Right. I needed emotional and intellectual stimulation, and without it, I became kind of... I don't want to say shallow because it sounds like I'm grouping all cosmetologists together and calling them shallow. I only mean me. I was just kind of... (laughs) What's the word? Like the personality of a LaCroix. (laughs) I'm laughing because I know everyone listening knows exactly what we're talking about. Right? (laughs) You got to do the voice. (laughs) All right, all right. Keep, Keep going, keep going. In the few years working in that industry, 
I hit a very vapid, mm-hmm. yeah, very surface-based mentality. Right. I found my self-worth based on a very materialistic and tangible thermometer. Right. You know, I would work and then I'd go out. It was always grinding to make money so I could keep up with the superficial girl persona. Yeah. And then being in either a bar or a restaurant. Right. My life was not fulfilling me at all. Mm-hmm. With that being my purpose, I was left very hollow. Right. And when someone is in a mentality like that, it is very easy to place all of your self-worth on anything non-materialistic. And I met my ex, and what better outlet to channel all of my mental and spiritual energy? Yeah. The problem with that is that when you find your self-worth from other people, you negate all self-preservation of your own Mm self-happiness. You live to make that person happy, and it is a very unhealthy mentality for a normal person, let alone me in that position who had been hiding who I was and lubricating my personality with alcohol. Up until that point, it was the only thing that had ever made me feel good about myself, and I replaced alcohol with a person. Yes. I know we have talked about how much self-harm you inflict on yourself when you place too much value on a relationship or on a person. And people with addiction disorders are often the biggest culprits. Yeah, for sure. We are operating at such a high level of passion Mm -hmm. that many times a new relationship becomes our substance. Yeah, and yeah, I for sure know what you're talking about. Yes, so I met my ex because she was in a show in Toronto and I was hired to do the makeup. And she was this absolutely beautiful and outgoing thing that I had ever laid my eyes on. She was 100% herself and Mm -hmm. did not care about what anyone else thought. And subconsciously, I was drawn to that to such an obsessive level. Mm -hmm. Not because I wanted to be with her, but I wanted to be her. Mm -hmm. Here was this person who was like me and was living that way unapologetically. And I thought it was inspiring. I mm-hmm. thought she was going to be the best thing that happened to me and yeah. what I needed to finally have the strength to come out. I came out to my family about two months later. Oh. She had been back and forth from L.A. to visit, and the final time she came with me to tell my family. Um, how did that go? It went about as good as a dumpster fire, <laughs> to be blunt. Um, I think oh, I would have been more accepted if I told them that I was working with ISIS. Oh. <laughs> Just like I had always imagined, it was minutes before I was told I was no longer a part of that family. Oh, my God. I think I had been preparing myself for that for so long that I was able to numb out the feeling of loss that I had at that time. Right. Plus, I had this hot, famous DJ girlfriend by my side. Of course. And it was finally something worth it to lose them over. Yeah, total distraction. I moved to L.A. with her and was thrown into this world of accepted LGBTQ plus world where everything was a party. Oh, my God, And life was only ever about being out and proud. Yes. I didn't know the first thing about fitting in with that world, let Mm. alone have the ability to make my own friends. Right. I was living in her world. We did not build a world together. Right. And you kind of lose yourself in that place. You know, you're not an individual anymore. Anyone I knew was because she had introduced me. Okay. And I was all of a sudden on the other side of the country, viciously out and gay <laughs> with a family who had disowned me. Okay. And a girlfriend who knew everyone everywhere. Oh. I was absolutely a forever plus one. <sighs> yeah. So mm-hmm. here I was on the complete opposite end of the spectrum as I had been before. Yeah. I went from being so determined to hide this and mm-hmm. drinking to make it pretending easier 
to being so determined to hide feeling uncomfortable or feeling like I didn't belong. Right. And drinking to offset the social awkwardness and be mm-hmm. enough of a partier to fit in. Right. I had absolutely no identity anymore. Right. With that, as you can assume, came the insecurities and the anxious attachment style. Yeah. <laughs> attachment style behaviors like being clingy, always worrying, constantly needing to feel validated. I became so obsessed with the image of our relationship that I was fighting for things to look good as opposed to them actually being good. Yeah, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I would make sure we took photos at absolutely everything we did so I could tag her in them so people would know that we were together. Just very uneasy about it. Right. I used to do that. And looking back, I'm so embarrassed that I did. Like, taking incognito photos and, like, tagging someone because you just want people to know that you're there. You know, it's, like, all the subtleness of basically peeing on someone. I mean, up until that point, she was the only thing I essentially had going for me, which led to a lot of emotionally abusive behavior on her end. I would get upset about something and she would argue that I shouldn't be upset instead of Mm -hmm. apologizing for making me upset, saying she needed space mid-argument and withholding communication Mm -hmm. until I would call her 20 times so that the argument would become about me. Mm -hmm. Just very classic narcissistic emotional abusive tendencies. One of the biggest signs of an emotionally abusive relationship is how fast both parties move on. And she was with someone else within a few months after we'd been together for years. Oh, okay. Which I know you uh, just experienced. Ooh, I'm not even going to touch that subject. That's a later thing. <laughs> okay, yeah, we can come back to that confessional episode. Yeah, yep. <laughs> so she finally broke up with me, and I was left with nothing. Mm-hmm. She was my world. Yeah. She is the only thing I lived for. Mm-hmm. So with my drinking progressing the way it had, yeah. I hit a rock bottom. Mm-hmm. I was in and out of hospitals for drinking. Blackouts became a regular occurrence. Yeah. And I convinced myself that it was just because my life was so hard. Yeah. <laughs> the classic martyr mentality. Oh, yeah. I deserved to drink. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was so broken and I finally was in the hospital with severe enough injuries after a DUI accident. Yeah. That my brothers finally came out to help me go back home. Okay. I don't know... I was even still alive at that point, but I was so done with this horrible thing being attached to me, and I just wanted to be happy on my own and on my own terms. Mm -hmm. And that is when the real battle began. Right. Yeah. I was 27 and moving in with one of my brothers Mm -hmm. and decided to go back to school, and I picked psychology because I knew my life was not the only story of those going through identity disorders, which stemmed from being in the LGBTQ plus community and who was fighting addiction. Yeah. I strongly felt and do feel as Mm -hmm. though that was my clearly placed path I should be on Uh and what I would find purpose in my life through. Oh, yeah. When I say that is when the real battle began... I cannot express enough how much I mean that. Oh my god, yeah. Addiction is hard to see someone going through when you care about them mm-hmm. and they won't get help or are in complete denial. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. But the hardest part of it is when that same person actually is in recovery yeah. and trying and owning up to having an addiction mm-hmm. and seeing them struggle. Yeah. You can get mad at someone for refusing to get help you can't really get mad at someone who is getting help and happens to fall and needs to get back up somewhere between yeah. 10 and 150 times. Yeah. <laughs> it isn't that the person is not trying. Right. They are trying and yeah. trying 
and trying mm-hmm. and every so often failing. Yeah. That is the hard part. Yeah. And the hardest part about being the one in addiction yeah. is finding the strength after relapse is nothing short of a miracle. Mm-hmm. There's no one who is lower and more deeply damaged than someone in recovery who has a relapse. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the horrible R word. You know, we, we fear that so much and we're so so low they're emotionally and physically at the lowest point that a human being can be at before you hit being suicidal yeah unfortunately a big part of what i see in my patients is that they're continuing to try but are keeping people around or trying to win back people who gave up on them when they're actively trying yeah Mm -hmm. and it's almost like you're fighting so desperately for any little bit of kindness and any little bit of love not because it's good for you, but because, you know, starving people will eat anything. Yes, and unfortunately, not even the addict knows how hard it is actually going to be. Not yeah. because you are fighting against a substance or habit, but because the knowledge and education that the average person has regarding addiction is not even close to oh, the yeah. reality of it. Oh, yeah. There is so much shame and guilt mm-hmm. around addiction and relapsing. And across the board, that kills more people than the actual addiction. Oh, yeah, 100%. And that shame is why, you know, people are so embarrassed to actually show those vulnerable parts of themselves. Yes, and in very simple terms, if that person had the ability to control their actions around addiction, they would not qualify as having an addiction. Right. Addiction being a disease is not an out. It's an actual medical explanation. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the people that believe they have the right to walk away if you continue to relapse are the same class of people that won't ever take action to help. Right. They most likely have not done any Al-Anon meetings. Yep. They most likely believe they have the right to have alcohol around you and that they have the right to be angry over something that a person has no control over. Yeah. And the smoking lung cancer metaphor is one of my favorites because it includes something people know is bad for them, like smoking. But if someone bailed or got mad about someone having lung cancer, we would crucify them as a horrible, selfish person. Oh, yeah. Stigma is the only difference, and it's the difference that ends with hurting someone who was already so low that sometimes they turn to suicide. Yeah. When you enter recovery, you're entering into an internal war with your own mind, Mm -hmm. and you brought a feather to a nuclear bomb war. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, and the beginning phases where someone might have time and then relapse, and then have more time and relapse... And maybe it's one right after the other and shorter and shorter in between. Right. That is not only normal, but that is also the time when you need unconditional love, forgiveness, and unwavering support. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I always got the, oh, you're just making an excuse. Um, But it wasn't an excuse at all. You know, it was an explanation. And some people really do believe that you have control over it and you just don't. You are powerless over it. It took me eight years in recovery to get one year. What does that tell you? Yeah. Patience and love is absolutely necessary when you're in recovery. Mm -hmm. For me, when I moved to my hometown with my brother, I was working on mending the relationships I lost after coming out. Yeah. And sadly, like many members of the LGBTQ plus and addiction community, Mm -hmm. that is a one-sided effort. Yeah. And it takes a severe toll on a person's mental health. Yeah. Unconditional love is not earned by conditional behavior. Yeah, and that's definitely one of the things that took me a really long time to understand. And, you know, I I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I first got into recovery at all. Yes, it is so true. 
If a flower doesn't bloom, do you blame the flower or do you blame the environment? The sun, water, temperature. Mm -hmm. We empathize with something like a flower as being a victim of their environment. Yeah. And yet we do not share the same courtesy with other human beings. Right. And the only way we can change that is through education. Yeah. For eight years, I was living in what people call a chronic relapsing phase. And the way I was able to finally triumph over that period of time was learning to let people who would leave me, if I relapse one more time, just go right out the door. Yeah. The -hmm. people who do not stick around for you to heal are the people who do not deserve the healed version of you. I love that. Those who bring out the worst in you and then leave when you are actually at your worst. Yeah. Are operating at a level of selfishness mm-hmm. that will keep you sick. Yeah. Pay attention to those people and who they are. Right. It yeah. hurts at first, but I have found it easier to accept being the villain in someone else's story who mishandled your love and care. Oh, wow. I love that. No one cares more, loves deeper, and fights harder than a person who is in recovery fighting to stay alive yeah Mm -hmm. there are so many studies and tests done that show that those with addiction have significantly much much higher iqs greater greater creativity (laughs) thresholds emotional depth and the ability to be an empath and care for others than other people yeah absolutely and something i'm coping with right now is you know kind of accepting that someone is you know learning the lessons they learned with me and how not to treat somebody and then giving somebody else the environment that I was begging for for years and accepting that, you know, maybe maybe if I was I had that environment, I would have made it. And you know, forgiving myself and learning to hold other people accountable too. So if you're in the first few years of recovery and you feel hopeless or if you're thinking about walking away from someone with addiction, Remember that on the other side, that person is going to be better than any other human being you will ever come into contact with. Oh, yeah. I mean, we rock. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think we are allowed to pat ourselves on the back that we're both still here. Right. Why not? (laughs) Absolutely. But yes, if you are in the life of someone with addiction and they are struggling and struggling, Mm -hmm. before you allow the ego mindset to tell you that this person had control Mm -hmm. of their actions, take a look at what that person has lost due to relapses. Right. And then try to tell your yourself that they chose that yeah absolutely like there's no way you can say that people do this on purpose (laughs) yeah you can't people lose friends families jobs and overall self-worth because of it yeah there's Mm -hmm. no way in hell anyone is actively deciding to do that I know you were talking about a relationship yeah um I mean I lost through this one of the most if not the most important relationship that I had you know it's July it's almost July so about two months ago you know I just I completely lost that person and the hardest part of that is you know it's just completely open like it's not that that like it's not that I don't love you and it's not that I don't want you in my life it's just this thing that you can't overcome Mm -hmm. yeah that is severely damaging me and, and I have to leave you know that you would think that that makes you feel better but it's almost worse because you know you would have never damaged that relationship if it wasn't for this it's not who you are without this it's like everything is fine everything is perfect that person wants you around it really is just this and that sucks that it's not even you it's your addiction 
that someone is hurt by. And none of that was your fault. And in time, those people will see that too. You have spoken to me about that, and I have no doubt in my mind that you will get that relationship back. Yeah, and I mean, I think we both know that too. And, you know, I'm so fortunate that, you know, a few weeks ago, now we're kind of getting back to, you know, talking every day, like that best friend that I lost, you know, and, and it was hard, but time takes time. Yeah, you both know that deep down. Yeah, not even deep down, like we both have even said it. Um, but, you know, it's... It has, it has to heal oh, first. Oh, see? Well, there you, know? you go. It will take time, but healing from that and doing well is almost making, like, a living amends. Yeah, for sure. You have to forgive yourself for the things you did when you weren't in a spiritually well enough place to stop yourself and do anything differently. Oh, my gosh. And that doesn't just involve drinking. Yeah. That involves all of the other components about alcoholism as well. Yeah. Insanity is not the drinking. It is all of the things that go into addiction when we're sober. That is the insanity of it. Yeah. Things for like sure. hiding it or lying about it. Yes. Or having the emotional maturity of a four year old every so often uh, is yes. all included in that. Alcohol takes many forms. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't realize it too. You know, it's it's weird being in a place where I'm so happy that I never got what I thought I wanted. <laughs> because, you know, I got so much so many better things and look at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. So I am now married to right. an amazing person who is also bipolar, and I would not change it for the world. She is on a level of passion I cannot even fathom. (laughs) And hey, simple research explains anything a person with bipolar disorder does that may not be the best. Yeah. But I would take a 30-minute psycho freak out every once in a while than not have that same (laughs) amount of passion in every other moment of what she does. Aw, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It has been long enough that now I find it endearing and adorable to see this tiny ball of rage and know it isn't anything more than being bipolar, watching her tire herself out and then come back like, Hi, I'm sorry. Yes, guilty. It is too cute. (laughs) Guilty of that too. I celebrate tomorrow my 10 year sobriety anniversary, and I absolutely love what I do for addiction for those struggling in the LGBTQ community and getting to meet people like you who just need someone to tell you no, the things you do are just symptoms of something you can't control. Yeah. You're not a bad person trying to be good, you are a sick person trying to get better. Yeah, and learning that and accepting that has honestly brought me a level of peace that I never would have thought I would reach. And I I reached out, like, really recently, like a few months. And if even. you fall a hundred times, the only thing that should tell you is that you got back up a hundred and one times. And that is something that is nothing short of a miracle. Yeah, and I find it such a gift to, you know, consider myself strong that I'm still somehow here and I you know did get back up all those times and it's it's hard because of you know you wanted to do it the first time (laughs) right but it's really really nice to be able to feel proud of yourself that you are still here and still working and still trying of course what is the main thing you forgive yourself for oh that's a hard one um I think I think I was ashamed for a really long time that I wasn't living up to the expectations that I set for myself. And I think I have to forgive myself for having those expectations and feeling like I had to hide any part of myself because the truth is I never gave people a chance to love the worst part of me because I was hiding it and that probably would have made all the difference. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, 
So it does look like we are about at that time. Okay, well, why don't you first tell everyone about the fundraiser you're doing right now? Yes, I would love to. So the average cost of drug and alcohol rehab in the United States is $2,000 to $25,000. And unfortunately, that's the deciding factor in a lot of people receiving help or not. So what we wanted to do was raise money so that we could give scholarships to various institutions across the country. And we're going to try for 10 scholarships. And we're going to do that through a recovery race. So it starts July 5th, and we have a number of people raising money. And the top three people who raise the most money are going to get a little trip. It's very exciting. Yes, and speaking as a doctor, I can vouch firsthand that a lot of people do not end up receiving the help that they need due to financial limitations, so this is absolutely amazing. Yeah, so if you want to either compete to raise money or if you just want to donate in general, check out our website, SoberSavageSquad.org, and, you know, hopefully be part of one of the people that makes a difference in someone's life. And, yeah. This was absolutely amazing. I'm so glad we were able to do this. I'm so proud of your growth in Aww. the past few months. Oh my God. Guys, a year ago, you would not even recognize who you were speaking with. <laughs> it's very hard to open yourself up to anyone, let alone a listener base, and unapologetically share the parts of you that you consider the worst. Oh my God. You really are putting it all on the table and genuinely are making a point to finally share who you are. Thanks. And biting down your pride and ego to do that and help others is absolutely amazing. <laughs> I cannot wait to see this bloom. Oh, thanks. Of course. So don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, and above all, remember, stay, stay savage. savage.